The year is 1945. Franklin D. Roosevelt is inaugurated for an unprecedented fourth term as U.S. President but dies three months later from a cerebral hemorrhage at the age of 63. The Allied powers launch and win major offensives to bring World War II to a close in Europe and the Pacific. Concentration camps, including Auschwitz and Birkenau, are liberated and the horrors of the Holocaust are revealed. And that year, the Pulitzer Prize for Drama went to Mary Chase's Harvey a whimsical comedy about a man and his friendship with a six-foot rabbit that only he can see. My name is Jan Simpson. Welcome to All the Drama, a podcast about the plays and musicals that have won American theater's highest accolade, the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. Let's just cut right to it. Harvey seems to many of us today to be a strange choice for a Pulitzer. However, the judges had declined to give a prize the year before, in 1944, even though such playwrights as Maxwell Anderson, Moss Hart, and Lillian Hellman had opened plays that would have been eligible. So the judges could have done the same thing again in 1945, but they obviously thought Harvey was worthy enough to be awarded the prize. Still, some folks grumbled that the 1945 Pulitzer should have gone to a show that opened just a few weeks before the prize was announced. The latecomer was Tennessee Williams' The Glass Menagerie, which would win that year's New York Drama Critics Circle Award. But Harvey, which would run on Broadway for over four years, was a genuinely popular choice. Its author, Mary Coyle Chase, was born in Denver in 1906 and was the youngest by nine years of four children in a large working-class Irish Catholic family that included four bachelor uncles who adored young Mary and loved telling her tales from Irish folklore. She says she fell in love with the theater after seeing a performance of Macbeth when she was 11. She loved it so much that she began skipping school to attend matinees to see all different kinds of shows, and she also began to dream about how she might write her own. But coming from a poor family, Mary also knew she'd need to find a way to support herself. After a couple of years of college, she got a reporting job at the Rocky Mountain News, where she met her future husband, Robert Chase. They married in 1928, and after the first of their three sons was born in 1932, Mary stayed home and started focusing on writing plays. A satire about political corruption, she called Me Third, was produced at a local Denver theater in 1936 as part of the Roosevelt administration's federal theater project. The show was a hit. And that gave Chase the courage to send a copy to the director, Antoinette Perry, who had also been born and grew up in Denver. By then, Perry was one of the few women succeeding as a director on Broadway. Later, she became a founder of the American Theatre Wing and as the namesake of the Tony Awards. Perry passed the script on to the producer, Brock Pemberton, who liked it, renamed it, Now You've Done It, and opened it, at the Henry Miller Theater in New York in March 1937. Play only ran a month. Chase, who had borrowed money to make the trip to New York for the rehearsals and opening, returned home to Denver and had to sell the family car to pay back the loan. 
She was understandably discouraged by the whole experience, but her husband urged her to keep writing. She did, writing three full-length plays and a one-act over the next three years. One, called Sorority House, was bought by RKO Pictures for $2,500, or about $50,000 in today's money, and turned into a movie with a screenplay by Dalton Trumbo but it still only got tepid reviews. Then, shortly after the U.S. entered World War II, Chase learned that the son of a widowed neighbor had been killed in the war, and she wanted to do something to ease the woman's grief. Her solution was to write a comedy. She said the idea for it came to her in a dream in which she saw a big white rabbit walking behind a psychiatrist. Chase spent the next two years working on the play, which eventually turned into the story of a genial guy named Elwood P. Dowd, who is an embarrassment to his social climbing sister, Vita, because he spends his afternoons drinking in local bars and insisting that his best friend is a tall and talking rabbit named Harvey, who just happens to be invisible to the rest of the world. When the exasperated Vita tries to commit Elwood to a local sanatorium, comic mishaps lead to laughs, while other encounters result in a heartfelt message about tolerance toward people who are different. Chase first called the play the Puka, after the large fantasy creatures she remembered from her uncle's Celtic folklore tales. She sent the finished manuscript for The White Rabbit to Perry and Pemberton in New York. They were charmed by it, and they decided to do it. They tried to get the silent movie star Harold Lloyd to play Elwood, and when he turned them down, they went after Jack Haley, the tin man from the movie The Wizard of Oz. He said no, too. They eventually ended up with Frank Fay, a former vaudevillian who had starred in a number of successful film comedies, but whose career had taken a downturn, just as his young wife Barbara Stanwyck's was on the ascent. Some people said their relationship was an inspiration for Dorothy Parker as she wrote the screenplay for the 1937 movie A Star is Born. But Faye turned out to be perfect in the role of Elwood, and it was he who, during the play's Boston tryout, suggested that they rename it Harvey. Chase had pushed for the rabbit Harvey to appear on stage at some point in the play because she didn't want the audience to think that Elwood was simply hallucinating because of drinking so much. But she gave in after the audience laughed when they saw an actor dressed in a rabbit suit during the first performance in Boston. So instead, Perry the show's director, inserted more subtle visual hints that the rabbit might be real. The show was an instant hit. The original production ran for 1,775 performances, making it the sixth longest-running Broadway play of all time. And six months after Harvey opened, it won the Pulitzer. The three-member jury, cheered by the Irish-born critic Mary Cullum, said it had chosen Harvey, quote, on account of its richness of content and the fresh imaginative field it had taken over, as well as in plot and character that marked a departure from the usual Broadway play, end quote. Or maybe the jury was simply acknowledging that after four long and difficult years of war, people just wanted to laugh. Chase, who had started the play as a way to cheer up her grieving neighbor, 
always said her biggest satisfaction came when she overheard a man in the lobby say that seeing the show was the first time his mother had laughed since his brother had been killed. Over the years, some critics have dismissed the play as lightweight. Others have complained that its attitude towards alcoholism is too casual, or that its attitude towards psychiatry is too harsh. But it's easy to see Elwood as a forerunner of the nonconformists, hipsters, hippies, and other countercultural types who would emerge to dominate the popular culture in the 1950s and 60s. Plus, he's fun to play. Jimmy Stewart stepped into the role of Elwood during the middle of the original run and again in the 1950 movie. Stewart was nominated for an Oscar for the role, but even though he lost to Jose Ferrer for Ferrer's portrayal of Cyrano de Bergerac, Stewart always said that Elwood was his favorite role, and he seemed to play him as often as he could, including in the 1970 Broadway revival, in a 1972 television movie, and in a 1975 London production. And Harvey has held on to its place in the theatrical canon, too. Austin Pendleton directed a production for Chicago's Steppenwolf Theatre in 1990. A 2010 production at the Shaw Festival in Ontario drew rave reviews. Jim Parsons led a starry revival for New York's Roundabout Theatre in 2012. And the critics were totally charmed when the play was done at Minneapolis's Tyrone Guthrie Theater in 2016. Harvey made Chase a wealthy woman. In 1950, Universal Pictures bought film rights to the play for $1 million, the most any playwright had ever received for a movie to that time. But the play's success came with problems, too. For a while, Chase developed a drinking problem to cope with all the attention. She eventually licked it and even used some of her money to establish the Denver House of Hope for recovering female alcoholics. But Chase didn't have as much luck with her future plays. Although she had four more open on Broadway, none got anywhere near Harvey's success. The one that came the closest was Mrs. McThing, another fantasy that starred Helen Hayes and ran for 320 performances in 1952. Chase's final Broadway play, Midgey Purvis, opened at the Martin Beck Theater in 1961, but it only ran 21 performances. Most of the other work Chase produced after that was for children. However, there was an attempt to do a musical version of Harvey in 1981. The show, called Say Hello to Harvey, had a book and score by Leslie Brookes and starred Donald O'Connor of Singing in the Rain fame, but it closed during its Toronto tryout. Chase died of a heart attack four days after returning home to Denver from the Toronto opening. She was 74. It's said that Chase regretted that she wasn't able to have the kind of theatrical career that Eugene O'Neill or Lillian Hellman had. But she still had a special one. Few playwrights have created characters as iconic as Elwood and Harvey, and even fewer of them have won the Pulitzer Prize for doing so. Joining me to talk about Chase and her play is Mimi Pockross, 
the author of a charming biography of Jay's called Pulling Harvey Out of Her Hat. Hi, Mimi. Welcome to Broadway Radio and All the Drama. Nice to be here. I'm going to start out by asking, what was your history with Harvey before you started working on your book? Actually, I'm an, a former speech and drama teacher, a high school teacher. So primarily, I knew about it through that avenue. I never produced Harvey, but I knew about it. Had you seen it before working on the book? I actually had not. Huh. I had not. <laughs> and I still haven't seen a live production. I hate to admit it, but I've seen hundreds of videos. I just have never seen it in person. Denver didn't seem to want to do it. Now, that's strange, right? Because that's <laughs> where it all began. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. But I did try to see that there was one production a couple years ago, and I did try to see that one, and I just wasn't, uh, the timing wasn't right. But I'm going to get to it. Um, that's for sure. I've seen lots of videos of Jim Parsons doing the Roundabout Theater in 2012. They've had many of those. So I've had, I've had some good insight. Then what drew you to writing about Mary Coyle Chase? I have lived in Denver. I'm originally from Chicago, and I'm a huge theater advocate. I mean, I grew up with uh, Goodman Theater, and um, I've gone to theater all my life. We've been all over to regional theaters. I knew about Mary Chase, and I'm interested in the literary scene in Denver. I think we don't, we talk more about the Broncos than we do about (laughs) (laughs) literature. So I started out pursuing the whole literary scene, and when I got to Mary Chase and I knew about her from studying all the plays for high school, I said, I I need to talk about her. She's interesting to me, and we need to know more about her. What what attracted you? What made her interesting to you? Um, I particularly was interested to the fact that she was born and raised in Denver and that she lived here all her life. And that uh, she was a housewife and a mother with three children. And she went to Broadway from Denver, which is very difficult to do. After having read the play and researched her life, what do you think attracted the Pulitzer jury to her play Harvey? Well, you know, it was a controversy. She went over the glass menagerie. I know. (laughs) Um, And I've read all of the reviews on it um, over and over, and apparently they found her fresh and different in plot and character. They thought she had educational value and that she was truly American, and that's what determines the Pulitzer Prize. When you say truly American, what do you mean? Well, that she had something to reveal about what America was like. They don't go into details when they Mm -hmm. talk about it. But I would say that, you know, here was Harvey living in this very Midwestern town and growing up just like everybody else in America grew up. As you noted, Harvey won out over uh, the Glass Menagerie. Looking back, do you think the jurors got it right? I absolutely do. One of the things that I enjoy most when I think about the comparison, which I do frequently, Mm. is that um, comedy won over drama. And 
comedy doesn't usually do that. And uh, I think she does it in an, in a way that's just totally different and unique and heartwarming and emotional and empathetic. Everything we believe in in our values, but she does it with comedy rather than with drama. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know that one of the criticisms, um, even at the time of the play, although it was wonderfully received, was about its attitude toward alcoholism. There was a criticism about it. And we were just talking about it the other day about the criticism that went to her about alcoholism, but never went to any of the other plays that have been done about alcoholics that were written by men. Mm. (laughs) She had to defend it, whereas it shows up in Eugene O'Neill. It shows up in many, many different plays. But for some reason, uh, the critics really didn't like the insertion of alcohol into her play. And it's still a mystery to me. She said that it was... Um, meant to sort of ease up the fact that Elwood was not perfect. And um, I think that's a good explanation. But the critics, they were reaching out and trying to find other reasons why Harvey shouldn't have been the success it was. So many things have changed over the years. Do you think the play still works today? That's so funny because I looked at it this morning and I was thinking to myself, I, the reason it still works today is because everybody wants to do different things with the characters and everybody wants to direct it different ways. And if you look at it that way as a period play, you can still do all kinds of interesting things with it. The message is still the same and the characters are definitely worth reinterpreting over and over again. Uh, You said the message still works. What do you see as the underlying message of Harvey? Oh, I was just looking at that too. You know, Louise Penny and the mystery writer, she just said, she wrote about Harvey in The Kingdom of the Blind, uh, a recent mystery book of hers. And she said that if you're If you don't hurt anybody, it's okay to believe in a white rabbit. (laughs) (laughs) As long as you're kind and as long as you're you're not hurting anyone. Chase kept turning out plays after the Pulitzer, but she aimed her plays uh, largely at children. And, And I was wondering, why do you think she did that instead of continuing to write comedies, even whimsical ones, for adults? Well, there was an actress named Ina Clare who suggested to her after Harvey that she pursued children. She said there weren't enough plays out there. And then she went to London uh, to open Harvey, um, their their production. And she spent some time in children's theater there. And she was fascinated with the fact that they pantomimed, that they started children at a very early age, that they engaged them in ways. And she had children. Mm -hmm. Did you find in your research that she did write plays for adults and maybe they just didn't work out? Or did she just sort of leave that? No, actually, she had a lot of failures in there. And I've read a couple of them that were produced maybe once or twice um, and and were not successful. One person, she wrote one play um, later in life called Cocktails with Mimi, and it got terrible reviews. And somebody accused her at that point of losing her touch, said she regretted that she was never able to top Harvey 
I'm not sure why. She said she shouldn't have tried so hard. My own feeling is I. she had other things that occupied her time, her children, her family, her life. She worked every day. She got, got up and worked five, six hours every day. But I think the the inspiration um, sort of drifted a little bit for various reasons. Well, she will always have Harvey, her Pulitzer Prize winning play, and uh, we'll always have it too. So thanks very much for coming on to talk with us about it. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening. I hope you'll come back next time and that you'll listen to all the other Broadway radio podcasts. And if you aren't already doing so, that you'll consider making a contribution to support our work, which you can do at patreon.com slash broadwayradio.